Father God, now as we take a look the first announcement of Christmas on that very first Christmas to the most unlikely of people, the shepherds, God. Teach us what you're trying to say through how you brought about that very first Christmas. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, when you have some good news, great news, um, who do you tell first? Who gets that first phone call? Maybe you find out you're expecting your first baby or you get accepted into your dream college, a full ride, no less. Uh, Maybe you've had a health scare and now you've got the all clear. Who gets that first call? Well, I think we can say the greater the value of that person in your life, the higher their priority on that list to tell, right? So which says an awful lot about the shepherds who were tending their flocks at night because they're the ones who the angel announces the very first time the good news that the Savior has been born to mankind. Here in Luke chapter 2, we're going to take a look at that. Yeah, the greatest news ever told, told by God himself through the lips of celestial beings. Pretty stupendous news. Cause for great joy to all people, all the earth, especially considering the dire condition of the world at the time. As you know, we always know the bad news before the good news, which makes the good news so very good. The bad news was that the race stood condemned, alienated from God because of sin, helpless and hopeless. When Adam disobeyed, sin entered the world and death through sin and death spread to all men because all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. I mean, man, things were dark. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 sums up the bad news pretty well in saying this, it's appointed to every person once to die and afterwards to face God's judgment. So the Old Testament scriptures had given the world some hope, some promises and some prophecies that the light would come and a savior would be born. But 4,000 years had passed since the time of the fall and death and destruction kept sweeping over, sweeping, (laughs) that swept over or is sweeping over uh, Earth's inhabitants, unchallenged, no sign of the Savior. And then one cold, dark, uneventful, ordinary evening after 400 years of what's called prophetic silence, God was not really revealing anything in those centuries, a light suddenly pierces the, the darkness, the announcement rang out, and here's what that looked like. <clears throat> Verse 8, Luke chapter 2, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news, great joy, that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, Bethlehem was called the city of David, because David, King David, was born there, and from King David would would come the Messiah. So 
today in the city of David's birth, his ancestor, a savior, has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah, God's chosen one to save. Verse 12, this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. That is the most accurate translation right there. The ESV nails it as well. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. See, they understand who's really communicating. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They're giving their testimonies, aren't they? And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The word pondered means to connect the dots. She's connecting the dots. A lot of mysterious things going on in Mary and Joseph's life, but she's connecting the dots. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. So we're going to park there, consider this very good news and what it has to say. I don't know about you, but the first time I ever heard the gospel that Christmas was about a savior was when I was a little boy, and maybe you experienced this as well. It came through Charles Schultz's evangelist named Linus. And so every year we loved that show. Back in the day, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, it came on once a year, one time only, on one channel only. If you missed it, it's over until next December. And so, yeah, you recall Charlie Brown's not feeling it, and uh, he cries out, he's at the end of his rope, and he says, can anyone here please tell me what Christmas is really all about? And Linus, apparently raised in a Christian home, takes center stage, the spotlight clicks on him calmly, coolly. He recites Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And the first time in a little boy's heart, he heard Jesus' Savior, Christmas. And not just me, generations of little boys and girls. And even today, they're hearing the message, the truth that even Linus knows, the truth that got first announced to lowly shepherds. Here, three talking points to consider uh, this paragraph now appearing before you. Uh, the angel proclaims some good news. The following paragraph, the heavenly host glorify God. And the one that we close out on, the shepherd spread the word. So let's take a look. Let's dive in. Let's get to it. 
They're lowly shepherds, and they get the highest honor around. They're first on the call list in heaven. This stunning news, amazing, that God is going to become a man and incarnates himself. The, the word is to become flesh, to incarnate into a human womb, the Holy Spirit, the combination, the God-man, born. Born not to enjoy the human experience, but to enjoy it and then die and suffer so that we would have a way to be reconciled back to God. Who gets this fabulous news that the entire world, whoever you are, no matter what you've done, can be, instead of perishing, an heir of everlasting life? Who do you tell first, God? Well, he picks lowly shepherds for a reason. There's theological truths tucked away in there. Let me explain. To understand what God's trying to say by choosing lowly shepherds, it's the first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. Well, poor, not just with money, that was true, but poor in a variety of ways. The image and reputation of shepherds and the, their vocation was at an all-time low first century Israel, for sure. Uh, shepherds tended to be problem personalities, bossy, foul-mouthed, uncouth, rude, opinionated, the know-it-all types. They were lacking character. That made it hard to hold down jobs that require mm, close interactions and social skills. So where did they wind up? Perfect place in a field, living in the middle of nowhere, in a meadow, where the only ones you can offend are the offensive shepherds that are joining with you in this task of shepherding. Uh, I read one writer said it was a great job for the shiftless, lazy, untrustworthy men with nasty habits. They could wander aimlessly through open fields with their smelly livestock with nothing to worry. They didn't have to offend the community. And offend the community, they did. Uh, they were untrustworthy characters, so much so that they were prevented from testifying in the courts of law. On top of that, Jewish parents would never allow their daughter to marry a shepherd, ever. It was forbidden. On top of that, the Pharisees, with all their terrible, uh, meticulous ceremonial laws to keep yourself from being unclean, you had to wash your hands several times a day. The shepherds just couldn't keep up with it. So they weren't biblically unclean or disqualified, but rabbinically unclean. The Pharisees stamped them unclean. So now anybody who came in contact with them would also be rendered unclean and not able to go to synagogue and all of this. So the general population and, and in all of these ways just said, let's write them off and let's avoid them rather than engage them. And it's a vicious cycle that way, isn't it? I mean, we see this lived out before us. People's rejection of people who rub us the wrong way for whatever reason, that very way we treat them kind of makes them even worse and more resentful, right? One writer said, the more 
the more they were disdained by others, the more disdainful they became. You see, it's kind of a crazy cycle how it works. And then we read this, knowing what you know now. And there were shepherds living out in the fields that God chose. You know what? I've got some good news. Who should I tell first? Should I go to the palaces? Should I go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have the Bible quotes on their forehead in a little uh, box that they, they uh, fasten around their heads? Are we going to go to the religious guys, the political guys, the wealthy guys, the pillars of the community? No. Let's go to whom the community labels losers. Let's find them and shine the glory of God around a bunch of heathens, as it were. Why? It's the gospel. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 to Timothy. Timothy, this saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That's the message. So he finds notorious sinners, losers, rejects, outcasts, people that nobody wants anything to do with. In keeping with kind of how he was born into a world that had no room for him. So there's a theme building here that there's no room for the shepherds in community. There was no room for Jesus in the inn. Now we're getting the message that this is a dark world that doesn't want anything to do with the light of the world, as Jesus is called. And so he shows up, and she's pregnant and in labor, and they shut the door in the face of God himself, God the Son. No room here. That's how it goes. This is why he's appearing to shepherds. This is why he's born in the way he is and laid outside in a stable area where you would keep your donkeys. Yeah, just, sorry, no room, no room in the inn, no room in our hearts. I was coming home from Sausalito. I had ridden my bike down to the Bay Area. And uh, I'm not riding it back, so I take the smart train, which I call the dumb train. Because when I'm on it, nobody's on the train. I'm the only one on the train. So how smart is that? That's not smart. So anyway, there was a guy sitting next to me uh, across the way at his own little table. Well, we start going, and he gets up with his laptop, and he he sits down (laughs) right in front of me, across from me. He says, do you mind if I sit here? Uh, the, the way the sun's coming in over there just doesn't, it looks like. The, the whole train's empty. He could have sat anywhere. But he looks over and he sees there's no sun shining on that spot. And so he sits there and asks me, is it okay if I sit right here from you? And I said, oh, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't mind. I, little did he know, I pray for things like this. you know. So there he is. <clears throat> and he starts talking. He doesn't want to work. 
So he starts talking, and I start talking, you know. He's a very friendly guy, 28 years old, dressed to the nines. He looks like a model. Just picture a model, an attractive 28-year-old with the bling, everything, you know. And he's sitting there, and he, and he says, yeah, I got a big list of things I want to do with my life. I want to make a million dollars before I'm 30. And he goes, I'm, 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 I'm on my way. And he said, it's real estate. I want to buy some more real estate, real estate, real estate. And then, then he says, I want to climb some mountains. And I want to surf the seven seas. He's got spots already picked out. And I want to travel the world. And, and, and I want to go to Burning Man in the desert. I just, and then this is what he says, I don't want to miss anything. And I said, wow. I said, you got a long list there. It's pretty impressive. And exactly what I said. I said, hey, Eric, let's call him Eric. Because that's his name. <laughs> well, I said, hey, Eric, I heard a long list. It's pretty impressive. But there's one thing I didn't hear on the list. I didn't hear the Lord. I, I heard nothing about God who made you and created you and loves you and gives you the breath that you're breathing right now. He's, just, that's a, he's not on the list. That must be a typo, right? <laughs> and he goes, um, no, he's not on the list. Just like this. No, he's not on the list. Me. Why not? Because I like to do bad things. Quote, because I like to do bad things. Even he knows they're bad, but he likes to do them. So I got an opportunity to explain that the Bible agrees with him that bad things are fun. That's why you do them. For a season. That's what it says in the Bible. But afterwards, it conceives. And it's the fruit of death. And there's always a bite. So I had time to give him some things to think about. But that's it. No room for God. Even the Christian struggles with giving God his due in a day. We're like we tuck him into little corners and Sunday places and holiday things. And, you know, we struggle. We struggle. I mean, especially since the pandemic. Oh, my word. It used to be, in our minds, the Lord's day. Now it's my day. That's my day. It's my day. I want to make waffles. I want to sleep in. I want to hang out with the kids. All fine, fine and good. Sometimes you need to do that. But every Sunday, not part of the congregation thinking it's okay because you get a little snippet of something on TV. Well, somebody told me, you know, I haven't been in church for a long, long time. I ran into them somewhere out there. It happens. And they're like, don't worry. I've got this and I've got this and I've got that. I'm okay. I said, oh, that's nice. What about us? What about the church? What about your gifts that you are called and added to a local body to strengthen them, to be there, to give, to support missionaries, to praise in the congregation, to hear the word of the Lord coming to you live in the way that he does not manifest himself outside of his congregation is a special thing he does. That's why he says, don't stop doing it. Don't stop congregating, as is the habit of some. And the some is now grown to many 
And in the last days, it's been prophesied that there be a falling away. And what a great start, the devil's pandemic that he used not only to kill people in a real pandemic that was a real danger, but he used it, didn't he, to pry loose the hands around the habit of congregating with the people of God. So yeah, there's just no room for God. And John, I love what John says. Here's the paradox. He came into the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. Yeah, sorry, Jesus. We have no time for you. We have room for you on the cross. That's where we'll put you. You can't come into our hearts, but you can go there on the cross, which, and this blows all of our minds, he's glad to do. For the joy before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't like anything about the cross except one thing. He endured it because it was our only hope. If I'm ever going to see them, fill in your name. I have to do this. And that brought him joy. You see, this is the glory of our God. It also, the cause for great joy to all people is that there's a savior. And that implies that we can't save ourselves, right? And, and that he's just saying, look, if you're messed up, you don't fit in, you have a messy life, today a savior has been born to you. Now, if you look at that verse, you can take out the to you part. You don't need the to you part. Today a savior's been born. He's Christ the Lord. Fact. No, why did he do that? A couple times. He says, no, a savior's been born to you, Mike. You, shepherd, loser, that everybody calls you. You, you have a savior. He came for you, sir. Wow. That's what the to you is there for. Because God knows that when we hear a Savior's been born, we're like, well, maybe for some people, but not for me. You have no idea. You have no idea. If I walked into a church, it would catch on fire. You know, how many times have I heard that? Oh, you don't want me to come to church because there'd be a bomb that would go off because if I walk into church, I said, sir, and I say this all the time, don't flatter yourself. Never. <laughs> We have way worse sinners than you at our church. <laughs> Sorry, I have to throw some of you under the bus. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. So it's to you. Put in your name there. And the glory of the Lord, of course. I mean, the astonishing fact of what's happening, that God is becoming a human being uh, to lay down his life on a cross where he'd be so mangled he doesn't look human, to quote the Bible. That demands some fireworks. So apparently what the angels are about to sing, the heavenly hosts, glory to God in the highest, is pointing at the fact that God would enter his world as a human, being a baby, frail, a baby, vulnerable, by whom all things were created, who upholds the world with his mighty power, taking on the form of a vulnerable baby. He says this, this 
news, despite what we're always slandered, that the news is so exclusive, it's only for so-and-so. No, it's for all people. All people. No matter your orientation. No matter what your sin is. No matter if it's for all people, the worst among you, the best, the richest, the poorest, the most beautiful, the most ordinary, the most morally inclined, the most wicked, the nicest, the meanest, the sweetest, the nastiest, the smartest, and the most intellectually challenged. A savior has been born to you, to me. That's pretty nice, (laughs) pretty good news. I could get excited about that. And the fact that he's called a savior. What does he expect of us? What does a savior expect of the person he's saving? That they have it together and they can save themselves? No. So the person's drowning. That's what the savior expects. He comes to save the drowning person who can't save himself. That's why he's called savior. If you were an expert swimmer and had it all together, he doesn't need to come and save you. The number one qualification to get to heaven is this. You're drowning. You're messed up and you can't do a thing about it. That's why you need a savior. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) No, there's one thing required of somebody drowning. Not that they learn how to swim, but they entrust themselves to the one there to save them. So verse 11, uh, the follow-through. There always has to be a follow-through. Today, there he is. He's born. This will be a sign to you. I should have said verse 12, sorry. Uh, this will be a sign. Here's, you've got to find him. You're going to go and find a baby. Here's how you find the Lord. And that's the gospel. The gospel always tells us how to find the Lord. Go and find, you'll find him wrapped up nice and tight like a Christmas package, you know, because that's what he is. And so, yeah, note to self and to all our friends out there, it's not enough to get wowed. They're wowed. They're about to get even more wowed. But uh, it's not enough to have goosebumps and hear the message and say, you know, that sounds pretty good. You know, you got to have the follow through. Goosebumps, I'm sure they got goosebumps. I mean, they get the heebie-jeebies. I mean, they're looking at an angel and all, right? And wow, but it's not enough. He says, go find him. And when they go, you know, it doesn't say, but you know, you, I know, I, I think they picked him up. They held him. They found him. That's the point, go and find. Don't just get all, you know. <laughs> it's going to be a sad day when people at the great white throne who perish who came really close. They came, they got the goosebumps, they cried a few tears. There's going to be plenty of people who cried when they heard the gospel and they were emotionally moved in hell because they didn't follow through. They didn't go and embrace. They didn't follow. They just got the goosebumps. Goosebumps. I was at a bike shop in Novato. I was getting my pedal swapped out. And the technician, a young man, talking to me, talking up a storm. I'm like, okay, let's do this. So I invite him to church. I said, I know this church. I really like it. I go there. And um, (laughs) it's called The Rock. And he goes, well, what kind of church is it? I said, a Christian church. I said, have you ever heard the gospel? He goes, I don't know what that word means. 
And I said, um, if you gave me 30 seconds, just like this, if you give me 30 seconds, can you give me 30 seconds of your, un just 30 seconds, not even a minute, I'll tell you the gospel. He goes, yeah, do it. So he's looking at me and I say, oh Lord, don't fail me now. <laughs> this would be a Christmas miracle if I could pull, <laughs> pull this off in 30 seconds. Well, it was easy. You've heard, uh, and I say this to him, you've heard the Adam and Eve story, right? They sinned, they blew it, and death came to everybody, right? And so we were separated. We are born separated from God. Our problem is sin. So God became one of us. Christmas time. He lived the perfect life. He died for our sins. All of our sins go on him. We trust him. And we could die and stand before him with no sins because guess what? He paid for them. And he goes like this, just like this. Goosebumps. Isn't that nice? No. It's not enough. It's nice start. He got touched. But it's been a year, a year and a half. I go in there a lot. Hey, what's up? Yeah, what's up? I don't see you Sunday. What? It's not enough. The wow. Lots of people wowed. And a lot of people fall short. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appear and they start praising up a storm. Glory to God in the highest. So apparently all of heaven's citizens, the hosts, the army of heaven, that's what that means, thinks that the incarnation to come and save man, to become man, God who spoke universe comes into existence, he's going to pour himself into a human womb so that he can live the perfect life and die as a substitutionary death. The angels think that that is the highest glory. The thing about God that is most glorious from heaven's point of view is the incarnation and his death on the cross on our behalf. That, that sent them into this hallelujah chorus that you can only imagine what it sounded like and looked like. Glory to God in the highest. And they are the, the thing that the hosts of heaven are most impressed with about his glory, the highest glory of God. There's a list a mile long. I'm sure the planet couldn't contain the list of all the ways that God is glorious. But what's the number one? What's the highest glorious thing about God? Christmas and the cross. Because Christmas, he was born to die for our sins, to save his people from their sins. This is what heaven says, that's it. That's the highest glory of God. Um, let me give you something out of the Old Testament where it kind of backs up this thought. Moses, 1,500 years earlier, says to the Lord, um, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Get it? Now we're, we're, we're going to try to figure this out. And the Lord said, I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So now he's asked, manifest your glory to me. And the first thing God wants to say about himself is I show mercy and compassion. Now, how do you do that? How, what's the fullest extreme of that kind of love and mercy and grace would be? coming 
to an earth that hates him so that he can die for them, right? And show mercy to whoever he wants, whosoever, right? And so he goes on to say, uh, but you can't see my face for nobody. Uh, I'm going to show you my back, but you can't see me and live. I heard it once, and I'll never forget it, that somebody said, first of all, who's walking 1,500 years before Bethlehem? It's Jesus. God the Father does not have a corporal body. Jesus said in John chapter 4 of God the Father, God is spirit. So anybody who walks in the Old Testament and is called God is Christ before. He's called the pre-incarnate, before flesh. Because he's God. He's very God of very God and has always existed. Now, I'm not going to show you my face this way. It's actually my back that I'll show you my glory. Did the Lord reveal to him in a vision of flogging stripes there? Mercy and compassion to whoever? How are we saved? How does he show the mercy? He took the flogging. And by his stripes we are healed. So whether he showed Moses a vision of those, or whether before the foundation of the world the Lamb was slain, whether they were already there, whatever, they will be there. And it seems like they will also exist in heaven. Because in his resurrected body, he showed Thomas the scars. And what do those scars say to you and me in heaven? You'll never be lost. All of heaven for all of the time and all of ages, millions, times millions, times billions, then times billions, times millions. And maybe you're thinking in all of that time, somebody like me is going to mess up, I should say, and get thrown out of the place. No. Right there, paid for in full. Never. You'll never sin again once you're out of this body and put on uh, immortality. And so that's a precious thing to consider. Peace on earth. The invitation is to all men. Everybody's welcome and everybody can be saved, no matter what. But the only ones who will benefit from this Christmas miracle are those upon whom his favor rests. And the only way to get God's grace is to trust his son. And when we trust his son, then favor and grace is added to our lives. That's it. You see, and the peace he's talking about there, we've talked about this before, is not peace between nations, though it's prophesied when he appears at his second coming, that there will be indeed a lasting peace between nations, but not talking about that here. And a peace between people, that will also happen. A peace in our hearts from fear and anxiety, that is a part of having Christ in our hearts and lives, but not what he's talking about here. Here he's talking about waving the white flag. God is waving the white flag and offering the white flag to us to wave. For those who find favor by trusting in, the, in his son, the war's over between God and us. We are no longer at odds with God. The peace he's talking about here is anybody can have peace with God 
friendship with God, though you were formerly at odds and enemies because of your sin. Now, because the Savior's come into the world and will do what he will do on the cross to reconcile us, then you can have peace. But only, as John 3.16 says, there's a qualifier to eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes there is a God, no, different, believes in God and trusts their life, surrenders their life to Christ in faith. And then they receive the grace, the favor of God, and then they have the peace with God. Let's uh, finish up 16 through 20. So they hurry off. They find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. So, you know, manger, of course, is the romanticized word. And it sounds so sweet. And I like the word manger, uh, except it's the feeding trough. You know, it's the bin where the grain goes, you know. And, and to think of Jesus, the Son of God, being laid in that place with the fragrance of a barnyard back there, not the burning incense of a palace. It just, all of this is why you sing glory to God in the highest, because what else can you say? Is wow, God, wow. 10,000 times wow. Maybe that's why we have eternity, to be able to thank him so much. Uh, what I like is, is that the gospel will prompt you to find Jesus, and every time the gospel prompts you, the good news is gospel. They have good news, and it leads them to Christ. And they find him, and I love this, the last verse, just exactly how they said he would be. And that's exactly how we always find Christ. It's easy to find him. The gospel points the way. We find him to be everything the Bible and the gospel proclaimed him to be. Everlasting love, the way he gives us rest and peace and joy and can do miracles for us. Uh, this is just, we find him. He's near. He's easy to be found. Now granted, Bethlehem, it's a one-stop sign town. Okay, it just really, it's four square miles. That's as big as Weaverville. Have you ever heard of Weaverville? Anybody? Yeah, no. You know why? Because if you blink, <laughs> you miss it, right? So how many people do you think they're searching through backyards looking for? There's 200 at the most that live in Bethlehem. In keeping with Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, 700 years earlier, the prophet says, listen, the village, you Bethlehem, you, oh, oh, little town of Bethlehem, you may be little and a one-stop sign town, but from you will come a ruler whose origins of our eternity past. He will be the ruler of the world from Bethlehem. So isn't it amazing that even though Joseph and Mary, in her ninth month, people who knew the scriptures might have been thinking, well, it can't be her, or they were probably wondering, aren't we supposed to? And then the decree comes. God puts it in the heart of a pagan king, Caesar Augustus. Don't you want to take an, a census and find out how many people are in the entire world? So in order to do that, Joseph and Mary get the word. You have to go to your ancestral town where your family's from. 
That would be 60 miles south to Bethlehem where King David was born. And so there they go. And no exceptions. You don't tell Caesar Augustus, you know my wife's God, I mean, she's in her late stages of pregnancy. You know, maybe she was eight months along or nine, right? And then she goes, and she goes into labor there to fulfill the prophecy. And so, yeah, you know, we, we find, the gospel says, do this and you find the Lord. Lots of people who, who claim to be seekers, but they're never finding because they're not seekers. The Bible says truly, if you truly seek. Now, true, it may take somebody a while to develop faith. You read some books or you, you, you know, you talk to some pastors, but there's this one guy who told me, he said he was talking to pastors for years. His wife was a Christian. He's heard the gospel through his wife for years and years and years. Through churches, he attended churches for years. And pastors have been paying attention to him, taking him out and answering all his questions. So after years of that, one of the pastors said to him, man, I don't think you're really a seeker. You keep saying you're a seeker, but I think you really enjoy arguing and you're holding out to the last possible second, but calling yourself a seeker. And it offended him so much so that he stopped. He doesn't go to this church. Uh, he stopped going to that church, but he told me about this in a conversation. And I've told you that the illustration of the chocolate cake, you say, you know, I really want some chocolate cake. And, you know, if only I had some chocolate cake, and I wonder, you know, I'd love to experience the real deal of a chocolate cake. Well, of course, people start bringing you slices or dropping chocolate cake at your uh, office. or <laughs> Yeah, and, and you keep not taking it. You, you don't eat it. It's like right there. You, you're at Costco. You go by the bakery section there. I don't know if you noticed the big chocolate cake there. It's like the best thing ever. You've ever eaten with a cup of coffee. You can't eat the whole cake, but you can eat a little bit of it. With coffee, it's so good. Now the guy's walking by, the, the Christian wife said, there's the cake, there's the cake, there's the cake. Oh yeah, what, what, if, what if it's not really there? No, it's there, it's right there, it's right there. It's there, it costs $12.95, it's right here. Now pick it up, put it in front of it. You know, you could rip the, off the plastic thing and take a bunch of it and say, look, chocolate cake. And it'll be like, how do I know it's not artificial? You know, or whatever, you see. Sir, let me clear this up for you. You don't want the chocolate cake. You're telling yourself you want the chocolate cake, but there's something else you're after. No, only you and God knows what that is. They tell them, go into town, you'll find them. Do as we say, and you'll find, seek and you shall find. And it doesn't matter if you're wise men coming 500 miles from Babylon, which is Iraq. The Magi, they came right to the doorstep. Why? All who seek, find, you see. Let me close out with this idea. I don't know if you know this, but most people know Jesus probably, though it's possible, but probably not born on December 25th. Most people who study the Bible all their lives say it was around April, around Passover. What does it say they do at the end of the story? They go back to work. Why? It's busy season for them. They're three miles from the temple. The temple every morning and every evening to say nothing about Passover. Thousands of lambs are needed 
who supplied the Jerusalem temple with all the Passover lambs. And the Passover lamb was all about, the animal was thought of the innocent bystander who's willing to take on your sins, and you placed your hands and imputed the sins as you confessed them onto the head of the innocent little lamb. That lamb's life was taken, slaughtered, and became a meal for you. Ah, communion. You ate the lamb that was slaughtered for your sins. And there was, in a sense, of an Old Testament remitting of your sins temporarily because you have to keep doing it over and over again. Now, they go back to work the next morning, and how fitting they're getting the lambs ready for slaughter for Passover. And they had already seen the shepherds who tend and raise the Passover lambs are the very first people in the world to see the Lamb of God laying just in a couple fields away the true lamb on a bed of hay. They go back, there are lambs laying on the bed of hay that are slated for the temple for Jerusalem to be slaughtered for a picture of the sins of the world, the other one for the actual sin of the world. This is the good news. We have a Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all the little golden nuggets that are always in the Word. It's amazing how you multitask, God, and nothing is impossible for you so we give you our lives this Christmas time and may the God who, with whom everything is possible be with us in a miraculous way in Jesus name, Amen You've been listening to the Brox Podcast Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.